0: Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. The following message is part of our series called The Jesus Agenda, where we are looking at not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? We hope you enjoy this message. Who's thankful for a God that's fun? Who's thankful that we can actually come to church and have a bit of a laugh? Why don't you take a seat? Fantastic. Thank you, Aidan. We are uh, embarking on a new series called The Jesus Agenda. What did Jesus do? The Jesus Agenda. I am so looking forward to this. Uh, Kind of normally when I start something or other off, we set the foundations of what we're going to be doing because as blokes, it's about setting right foundations. Today, though, uh, is it is Father's Day, so I'm going to be a little bit off the mark from what the Jesus Agenda is. But can I just encourage over these next... Uh, six, seven, eight weeks, however long we go for on this series, to just engage with what we're doing in church here. Engage with what we're going to do in church. I'm actually going to um, throw it on some of our uh, our midweek staff here, our beautiful staff, and because uh, I was thinking about this early this morning, actually during the middle of the night I was thinking about this, and I want to try and help help us work out what we do for the Jesus agenda, help the church work out what we do. Because we're going to focus on the book of Mark, because Mark was a kind of a a great character. Mark actually wasn't. John Mark wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. If you actually read through, commentaries will say that that John Mark spent a lot of time with Peter, a little bit of time with Paul. He knew what was going down. Uh, There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark. The Gospel of Mark has 16 chapters and what we're going to do is I'm going to ask our team is that we're going to do regular social media and email updates to you about some of the things that are happening in the book of Mark. Earlier in the year, we did a daily devotional for 28 days. We have over 200 people sign up to that. I'm throwing this on our team now, so thanks, Allah, in uh, in recognition of what you're going to do. You'll have to put this in your planning. But uh, we're going to do some stuff because we want to engage with you during this series. It's not about me preaching to you. It's about engaging with you. And the Bible is about being active and alive and engaging with what the Word of God said. So as we look through the book of Mark, we'll, we'll look in other Gospels as well, but Mark's just a great uh, sort of guide. I got, uh, I got a, uh, a coffee machine for my birthday last week, and uh, there is like, seriously, it is 36 pages, a 36-page manual, 36-page manual on how to make a coffee. It's not that hard, people. A 36 And that was all in English. I didn't even go for the international version. A 36-page manual. This is a manual, though. This is the manual that we do need to be reading. It is Father's Day, and for some, the words Father's Day and celebration uh, kind of don't feel like they belong in the same sentence. One of those reasons stems from the fact that as children, we don't get to choose our earthly fathers. That's kind of done at conception. We can talk about that another time. It's fair to say that as parents, we make some significant mistakes. In fact, the first earthly parents lacked a little self-control. And they made some mistakes and they took something that wasn't theirs to take. I want to share today, though, that our Heavenly Father loves us so much beyond what any natural father can love you, that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Why? Because God the Father desires for you a life where despite the natural circumstances that you may be facing, that you can receive forgiveness in order that you may forgive others. Our God, the Father, loves us so much that he desires for us a life where we may understand a righteous fear of God in order that we don't live a fearful life. Our God, the Father, loves us so much that he desires we live a life where we understand what it is to be faith-filled in order that we may be faithful. And our God, the Father, loves us so much that he desires we live a life where we appreciate the true meaning of freedom in order that we can be set free. In respect to my own father, I've titled this morning's message, Forget the orchard. Forget the orchard. And I was actually thinking about this translation for our multicultural friends. Does everyone understand what an orchard is? Yes? Everyone understand? It's a farm normally where you grow apples and pears and those sort of things there. So let's just call it a farm, but forget the orchard. I must admit, when I was doing this, I was thinking uh, from my own terms. My father was a farmer. He was raised on an orchard in Melbourne suburb of Doncaster. By 14, he was on the land, following in his father's footsteps and in his father's father's footsteps. My dad was called Bill. His dad was called Bill. His father was called Bill. And they had a favorite cow. And guess what his name was? Sean. Yeah, I'm the clown up here, aren't I? Yeah. Oh, what's on the back? the mighty (laughs) Thor. My dad knew nothing else but the life of being a farmer on an orchard. My dad knew how to grow apples and pears. At age 19, he left Melbourne and he moved to a, a little place outside of Bendigo called Sedgwick, where they continued on the farm. By the late 60s, the land was in drought. The rain stopped. So my dad and mum, moved further north to a place outside of Swan Hill called Coralie. Dad continued with the apples, but he he decided to get a bit brave, and he branched out, and he did grapes as well. And he also had a paddock of pumpkins. Till the late 1970s, when the land failed, the rain stopped, the drought came. And despite my dad toiling for 16 hours a day, six days a week, nothing would grow absolutely nothing. I remember times when important looking men would come into our family home. They were bankers and they would have very adult conversations with my mum and dad and when they left I would see my mum crying and then I'd see my dad do what dads did. He would go out to the shed and tinker with something On one occasion, I remember as a young boy sitting in the lounge room with my brother where we overheard Dad saying to Mum, I've worked my whole life and I can't even give away the orchard. To which my mum replied, forget the orchard, live for the boys. Forget the orchard, live for the boys. I want to read a passage out of Psalm 112 and it says this, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Verse 2 Their children will be successful everywhere, an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. I have looked at this verse many, many, many times. My father failed twice on a farm financially my father failed twice on a farm and I read this and it says how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in his commands their children will be successful an entire generation will be blessed they themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever that is a promise of God forever is a very powerful word so often when we die the only thing that outlasts us is our possessions In terms of the world, my father lost everything. As an orchardist, he was a failure. There was other farms in the area, I remember, I was only a young boy, and they survived. They had better tractors than dad. They were hooked up to the irrigation system and could pay money to it, and they survived. But for my dad, he failed. He was deemed as the failed farmer. In the natural, he was not even close to being successful. But I will be forever grateful for the fact that despite seeing as a young boy an orchard full of fruit rotting on the trees and other trees where nothing would even grow, my father spent his life living out the fruits of the Spirit. In order that I would see, in order that I would hear, in order that I would be close to God the Father. You see, my father looked at Psalm 112 and it was very hard for him to say, well, I'm going to be wealthy, successful and fat. But he feared the Lord. He was joyful in the Lord. He delighted in obeying the Lord's commands and as such, it says, his good deeds will last forever. My dad had a choice to make as a what was he probably early thirties he could wallow in the in the farm that was broken he could wallow in the circumstances that were against him every door. I saw him after sixteen hours a day. He would come in, Mum would prepare a meal he 'd have a brief um, sleep and then he'd go back out again. He could wallow in the circumstances of the natural or he could live out what we used to be on our door. Colossians 2 and it said this, when we were wallowing in our sins, God made us alive in Christ. When we were wallowing in the things that come up against us, God made us alive in Christ. So when my mum said, forget the orchards, be a dad, My dad went from growing fruit in the natural to displaying fruits of the Spirit. And I'm going to race through these in the next 17 minutes. Because men, we're practical. Most men are practical. (laughs) I am the mighty Thor. (laughs) Most men are practical. There's There's a few out there that are maybe not so practical. Actually, I need a shelf put up. Can anyone help me? No, I'm like really seriously. Yeah, you guys are joking. I'm actually really serious about this. Galatians 5, 22 to 25. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5. Paul is talking to the people of the, Galatia, uh, the Galatian people in the Galatia area. Uh, who did they weren't farmers per se, but they did face a number of uh, of natural circumstances that tended to go against them. Galatians five, chapter twenty two to twenty five. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is no law against these things. Guys and ladies, I'm going to give you nine practical tips because there's nine pieces of fruit here. The first one is love. In Matthew 22, it says this, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the Lord? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Says this in verse 39. And this is the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone say yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. Ladies, it is the second part of this scripture that I tend to stop at. Because I want to let you know that blokes struggle in this area. Not because they, don't, not because they love themselves, but actually the exact opposite. Men beat up on themselves for not being of a standard. My father beat up on himself because he was a failed farmer. Men beat up on themselves because they don't achieve. Men beat up on themselves because they don't have the business card that says boss. Men beat up on themselves because they don't earn the right amount of money that the world says we need to earn. Men beat up on themselves for not making wise decisions. The sad state across our nation is that it is perceived that father's lack of love for our children is because we love ourselves. I'm going to turn that on our head and I say because men actually don't love themselves, is it why we find it hard to love our neighbor as ourselves? That'll take a little bit to get to used to. About 12 o'clock you go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Ladies, I need you to understand that. Men beat up on themselves, and so when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, love your children as yourself, when you're beating up on yourself, it's very hard to love your children. Men, we need to work on this. Despite our circumstances, we need to start loving self where we are proud to be a man, where we are proud to be a son, where we are proud to be fathers. And when we do, we will learn to love so much more. Number two is joy. The message translation says it's about joy. An exuberance about life. An exuberance about life. Lads, when was the last time you were exuberant about life? Not exuberant in life, when you're exuberant about life. Genuinely excited about life. You see, because we tend to base our excitement on external factors. The things that we tick off the list, I tick that off the list. I'm excited about that. Yet the joy that is produced by the Spirit of God looks past what we deem past a failure. And instead, God looks at our inward appearance. I'm sure God looked down at my father sitting on a, on, a, on a... Actually, at one stage, had milk crates in the kitchen. And I'm sure that as my father looked down... And at times of his life, had no joy. God looked at his inward appearance, and he had a smile on his face. One Thessalonian says this, always be joyful. Pray continually. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Number three, peace. Daryl Kerrigan was a father to a family that lived a simple life. I'm not going to show it, this one, Silas, because we're not going to have time. No, we haven't got time. But parenting, parenting, mums and dads, parenting can be anything but peaceful. And as they get older, it's still not peaceful. They just talk differently. Romans 5.1 says this, though. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Take time to find peace in Christ. When you find peace in Christ, you will find peace in self. When you don't have peace with Christ, it's very hard to find peace in self. That's what Paul said to the Romans. When you are struggling with God, you need to get on your knees and say, God, we don't have peace at the moment. We're a little bit at war here. God, I kind of wanted to do this thing. I'm pushing through this door, God, and it's feeling really heavy. What it says in Revelation 3.8 is that God will open the doors that he wants to open. And paraphrasing here a little bit, but he's going to close the ones that he wants to close. We need to find peace with God, and then we will find peace in life. Number four, you can show this one, because we're talking about patience. The Passion Translation refers to this fruit of the Spirit as one that endures. And let's just say, blokes, we're not great at dealing with endurance. We want the fix now, and we want the answers yesterday. As a father, this can be critical in the development of our children, we can have fun but we can also be serious patience it's father's day i'm allowed to speak to the guys this one can be critical in our development of children we want the fix and we want it now we want our kids to be have the be wise and have the wisdom and everything and we want it now we want them to have the answers yesterday a little bit older than my kids, somewhere in there, it's got a four in front of it. We desire for them to have our wisdom. Well, if they had our wisdom, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing now. Psalm 49.8 says this, at just the right time, I will respond to you. So our heavenly Father God the Father says, at the just the right time, I will respond to you, yet we put a different standard on our kids. Our Heavenly Father says to us, at just the right time, I will respond to you, yet we say, why didn't you do it today? Why didn't you learn that lesson? Patience, hear me on this one, patience is surrendering to God's timing and control. His timing and His will is our authority. There is no other. Number five, kindness. The story of Joseph is one of my favorite in the Bible. Joseph has every reason in the world to ignore his brothers. Joseph, as a sibling, I'm talking to the siblings now. Everyone gets a a shot today. I'm talking to the siblings. Joseph was beaten, thrown down a well, done all of these sort of things by his siblings. He had every right to punish his brothers. When he meets up with him, when all of a sudden, Joseph goes from being in the bottom of the well to being in Potiphar's house, when he's the king in, in 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 the house, he had every right to throw away kindness. Yet I love this story because it, it, it's irrational, the kindness that Joseph shows. He lavishes, it says in the Bible, the best of Egypt upon the same people who were disrespectful and broke him. So when they spat on his face, when they threw him in a well, when they sold him out to be, to be, to be dead, he lavished the best of Egypt upon them. Kindness is generosity. It's generosity in a whole new level. I spoke last week about some guys and the crowd of one. For the some guys, that was kindness, that was generosity on a whole new level. Blokes, we're practical, we're doers, we'll devise plans for anything. Sometimes the kindness we need to share is to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'd love to have a coffee with you. Sometimes the kindness, the best kindness you can share is giving your ear to someone. Don't tell them what to do, just listen to them. Number six, faithfulness. Any theologians out there? Number six, faithfulness. You're going to say, well, you left out goodness. I'll get to that one. Man, we need to work on some Bible stuff in this church, don't we? Core had it. It's all right. In Lamentations 3, 22, 23, it says this, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each and every morning. God is the only one who is truly faithful. And in our strength, we will feel short of the glory. However, the beauty of, of God is that by His Spirit in us, we are refreshed every single morning. What a blessing that is. When you can receive that inside of yourself, you can know that, that although we, feel sh- we fall short of God's glory every single day, He says every single morning, I will feel you afreshed. What a promise that is. Faithfulness is probably, I believe, the most misunderstood fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of like a tomato. That was my dad joke for the day. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. The elements of faithfulness is not about obeying because we have to, but having the courage to step out because we know it's God's plan. That's what faithfulness is. Number seven, gentleness. I'm running through these quick. Number seven, gentleness. This is a tough one for blokes because in our culture, we equate gentleness with weakness. Gentleness, weakness. Gentle, we're weak. Yet I'm going to say that this is one of the key virtues for all blokes and one which has caused the most consternation for fathers. I'm going to give you an example. We've got a medium-sized dog. And if our medium-sized dog runs up to a smaller dog at a park, what do I say to him? I say, gentle. Keegan, be gentle. Keegan, be gentle. I've never heard someone who owns a little dog say, be gentle to the big dog. It's a true fact. It's a true fact. Gentleness, listen to this one. Gentleness means having great power and choosing to yield it in a compassionate way for the benefit of others. Let me say that again. I think there's a lot of today's preach where you're going to go home this afternoon and go, oh, that's what he's saying. Listen to a podcast, we podcast says this, gentleness means having great power and choosing to wield it in a compassionate way for the benefit of others. When I tell my dog to do that, it's not for his benefit. He's big and bulky and he's going to do things. It's for the benefit of the one who is not powerful. Jesus was all-powerful. Jesus was the mighty Thor. Jesus was all-powerful. Jesus could have zapped. Jesus could have done these things. Jesus could have done anything he wanted. Jesus had the power of his Father. He could have done anything, but he was the most gentle person that walked this earth because he wielded it in the right way. Why? For the benefit of us. Gentleness is when we have the power to lord it over people, to push our own barrows, yet we choose to show kindness. Number eight, I can grab the guys, thanks. Number eight, two more. Self-control. I could spend so much time on this one. What I'm going to say on this one is men of all ages, of all sorts, sign up for Valiant Man. Man. Sign up for Valiant Man. It will be the best eight weeks, whether you are 18 years old, it's over 18, whether you are 18 years old or 80 years old, sign up for Valiant Man. If you've done it before, 10 years ago, and you think I've ticked that one off the box, go back to my first few points, lads. Self-control, sign up for Valiant Man. The simple fact is this, is this virtue is listed as a fruit of the Spirit and points that the fact it is is a gift from God. Self-control means foregoing what is convenient and easy to pursue what is eternal and good. Do you know what? Self-control is the last listed fruit of the Spirit. I truly believe this. As I've studied these, I truly believe this to be the point. It is the last listed one, but it's kind of like the last shall be first because when we master this one we make room for the other fruits to embed into our lives when you master self-control in your life men women or children you make room for the other ones to be able to move in there when you haven't got the self-control let's talk to adam and eve about this when you haven't got that everything else falls away it's last for a reason We need to be better at self-control. And the final one is this, goodness. The word good is thrown around a lot. Good job. Good job, Pastor. I'm going to go there. Last Friday, you would have read some news that made international headlines. Of a 30-year-old pastor of a mega church in America who took his own life. Pastor Andrew Stokline was from the Inland Hills Church in Chino, California. He was the lead pastor of a church of about four or five thousand people. He'd been on three months of stress leave. And he came back and he preached. A message which I watched yesterday three times. The following week, he took his own life. He said, One of the things that has been coming out is saying because I'm not good enough. There is a thing that is happening in the US and it can stay there. What's called critical Google ranking where people will go to church and they will rank the preacher as to how they're doing and then they put them up on a line to see who's going up and who's going down. There's another one called Yelp rating that says we're going to go in there and the first thing they do is it's how quick can you Yelp rate how the preacher went straight afterwards, how they pastored you, did they listen to my message. Can I ask every Connect Group leader to stand up? Every ministry leader stand up. Every pastor in here, stand up. Everyone who leads a team in this church, stand up. Church, can I ask that you pray for these people? I love our church, that we don't have a critical spirit, that we embrace these fruits of the Spirit. These are people right across, men, women, and children who are committed to the ministry, committed to doing church life with you. Can I encourage that you look around, find someone, and this afternoon, get on your knees and pray for them. Pray for them. Board members, can you stand up? Ministry management team, can you stand up? A spiritual oversight, can you stand up? When these people make decisions, they don't say, well, what's best for me? They do it with a heart to say, what is best for the church? How can we reach a community? How can we build? How can we see better disciples come? When I read about this man, I was just in tears all day yesterday. Let me read what his wife said just two days ago three days after his death she penned the most beautiful piece on her blog and it said this Andrew your story your life and your death is opening the floor for conversations all around the world Your story is helping people to share their hidden thoughts and their secret struggles with their families, their friends, and even in the church. Your story is paving the way for a bigger conversation about how the church can better come alongside people who are struggling, including pastors. Andrew, I will miss you, but God is using your story and this tragedy to do miracle in the lives of other people. Can I ask the rest of you to stand? Good is a relative term. When we say something is good, It's based upon this pre-established standard. I mean, I can say I'm pretty good at basketball, but if LeBron James is standing next to me, I'm pretty rubbish. So when we say good as a Christian, when we say the church is doing good, when we're doing these things, we're putting ourselves against the standard of God. And God doesn't even have standards. God is God. But can I tell you this? because that would be really deflating. And you go, why would we do church? Why would we do these things? Let me remind you right back in in Genesis, in creation, God created the land and what did he say? God created the waters and what did he say? God created the birds and the animals and what did he say? God created the night and the day and what did he say? God created the human beings and what did he say? It was very good. God says we are good. Be good. God said, Be good. God said, You are very good. God said, You are made in my image. Be good. Sometimes we do bad things, sometimes we make bad choices. say this morning, fathers, mothers, and children, because I'm going to take a fair stab and say that every single person here has a father. As we finish today, I want to say this, that if you feel anything but good, that you feel caught in a sinful pattern, That if you feel like you're in a place where you cannot forgive your father or you cannot seek forgiveness from your father and that you feel like you're a failure, that maybe your orchard broke, that maybe your business is broke, that you feel anything but good. Can I tell you that God created you in his image and he said that you were very good. And when sin entered the world, he said, no, no, I didn't make a mistake, people. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to send my one and only son to die on the cross in order that you may receive, have eternal life, live with me, because it will be good. It will be good. I'm just going to ask now, if that's you this morning, that you want to make it right with God, that you want to make it right in your life, that there is something that has been holding you back from saying, I am good because I'm created in the image of God. I'm going to ask you now where you are just to raise your hands, just to raise your hand. Is there anybody here this morning? Just right where you are. We've got a pastoral care team. They would love to be able to pray with you. If there is anyone this morning who has been living in their own doubt, who's been living in their failure, who can't feel like they can get it right because they don't feel like they're good, well, God said it is good. Is there anybody here this morning? We've kept eyes open. Why? Because this is not a condemnation or a judgment. Thank you, I can see that hand. This is not a condemnation and judgment. Thank you, I can see that hand down the back there. Thank you, I can see that hand there. This is not condemnation and judgment. This is your. Miracle moment of with God. This is your miracle moment. This is where you can say, God, I am good because you created me to be good. I'm gonna ask those people, we're gonna sing this last song. We're over time today. That's because they did this crazy car thing that was just ridiculous. We're gonna sing this song. I'm gonna ask those four people who put up their hand, I'm gonna ask you to be really, really brave really, really brave. I can see one of them's got a young child there. Bring the child up as well. I want to ask those four people, come and meet me on the altar here. I would love to pray with you. So if that's you, come on up. I'd love to pray with you. John's going to lead us in a song. Thank you for listening. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3h.life.